Welcome back, Hemming Brains, to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast ever. Talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 88, Philip Has Had an Epiphany. Have you ever had one similar? That was the discussion prompt. I'm Norwegian, said, I think this has been my favourite chapter so far. It almost reminded me of something out of a Herman Hesse book, where the character, ramblingly but with great insight, thinks about some burgeoning universalist spiritual truth. But even before that, the author does a great job of illustrating the power of the aesthetic and the spirituality of it. I have had a very similar epiphany, but a much slower one. I did feel similarly, though. It was a very powerful thing at points, but it often, but it happened over a couple of years after I discovered Jordan Peterson and then Jung, and then most powerfully when I read the Brothers Karamazov. The Grand Inquisitor blew me away. Uh, okay. Well, cool. I, um, you know, I really liked Jordan Peterson, and especially when he spoke about Jung, and then I really liked hear, uh, learning more about Jung through other channels. Um, I found that really interesting um, with Jordan, with, um, with Jordan Peterson. He, when he sp- spoke about um, symbolism and stories and kind of, anthropology i suppose or like um what's it called social anthropology is that what it's called like cultural anthropology that kind of stuff i found really interesting and and, um um not so much the political stuff and the more i kind of watched of him the more i wished that he never got caught up in a political kind of controversy because then that became all he talked about and i just didn't find that interesting but when he spoke about more kind of you know, older things, not current things. I found it really interesting. And Jung, when he spoke about Jung, was really interesting. Um, so I find it interesting, though, that you liked Peterson and then Jung and then Karamazov. And Jordan Peterson talks about the brothers Karamazov all the time. But I, I just feel like I missed something in the brothers Karamazov because I read it and there wasn't, for me, anything. Like there was just, was just nothing. It was just rambling about spiritual stuff, but it was just kind of trite and over. Like it just went over and over and over, just this same thing. And there was no insight. There was no nothing. Nothing was kind of like I had no aha moments or like interesting moments in that whole book. I don't know if it was just the translation I read or, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't understand why anyone can like that book, <laughs> which I know must be me because I know it's, you know, one of the best books ever and it's a lot of people's favorite books. So I know I'm missing something. But from what I got from it, it's like not only do I not like it, but I can't even like stretch my mind to figure out why other people do because there's literally nothing interesting about it. So I don't know what I missed. I'm, I apparently missed something huge but I can't tell you what it is. And when people talk about why they found it interesting, I'm still, I still can't figure it out. You know, anyway, uh, I'd love to, I don't know, compare notes, I suppose. And I suppose we already did that because we've covered that book in this podcast, in this subreddit. But, uh, I don't know. I think you were even there for that. I'm Norwegian. So you probably know all this already, but yeah. 
I think one day I should try that book again, but with a good translation. Because I, I wonder if it was just the, the bad translation that ruined it for me. Um, what am I talking about? Um, oh yeah, Herman Hess is good. I like, I really like Steppenwolf by Herman Hess. Um, I tried to read, um, what's the Buddha one? Uh, is it Siddhartha? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and yeah, I couldn't, couldn't get through it. It was very condescending, I thought. Um, and there's, there's something about someone kind of spoon feeding you a sort of a spiritual um, epiphany or what is meant to be a spiritual epiphany and they're spoon feeding it to you in a really condescending way. Um, but when you already are sort of aware of that um, point of view, and it's not sort of news to you, then the condescending nature of it just becomes kind of, I don't know, annoying. <laughs> so there was Siddhartha I couldn't get through because I just found the, the, the main protagonist to be so pompous and arrogant that I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. But, um, but Steppenwolf, is one of my favorite books remains one of my favorite books swim said the mum fish he said this more fun facts if you care to see what ruben's second wife looks like Anthony compares his wife to her this link has several paintings uh okay helena formant helena formant i'm just clicking the link there she is looking at an old painting by jean bockhorst from 1630 um all right that's what she looks like um how do I even describe that? <laughs> it's she's got a face. She's blonde. Um, yeah, if I was going to cast someone to play her, it would be Olivia Coleman. There you go. Um, or you can just look up Helena Formant if you want to see a picture of what I'm looking at. Anthony favors God over Darwin. Herbert Spencer uh, was an English philosopher, ph- bio- biologist, anthropologist, and socialist. A sociologist famous for his theories of social Darwinism, whereby superior physical force shapes history. Spencer originated the expression survival of the fittest, which he coined in Principles of Biology, 1864, after reading Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species. Um, the author, M, certainly has a fixation on small heads. He mentions it once again while looking at the photographs of El Greco's paintings. This is the El Greco painting that he is describing oh this is interesting i wanted to see this um epiphany in literature refers generally to a visionary moment when the character has a sudden insight or realization that changes his or her understanding of themselves or their comprehension of the world author james joyce first borrowed the religious term epiphany and adopted it into a profane literary context in stephen stephen hero an early version of a portrait of an artist as a young man oh really i did not know that i suppose i've used the word epiphany uh, correctly then but without knowing that it was that the etymology goes beyond in a literary sense um or even that i was that it is a specifically a literary word i just meant it in the general sense of like you know an aha moment but that's pretty cool thank you for that all right i'm looking at the painting um artist el greco view of 
All right, so it looks like... <laughs> what does it look like here? Uh, um, not great. First of all, it's got a fisheye lens, which I've never seen in a painting, but it looks like it's a... It looks like a picture being taken in a fisheye lens. So I would say that the, the, the artist has painted it using a reflection of something that has a concave... Um, surface uh, which is interesting because it is kind of elongated and and drawn out drawing out towards the outer edges um, it's a weird it looks like they've made a mistake in the middle because there's just sort of a, a cloud in the middle of a mountain which might also be um, from whatever the reflection that he was painting off of was reflecting. It did have a concave um, surface. A bit of the sky might have been reflected in the lower part of the surface. You know how sometimes that happens? Um, weird. It's And then there's this kind of scene happening up the top with angels and, and little cherubs. And that looks like um, that looks kind of like a sticker that's been put on top of the canvas because um, it's sitting in the sky but it just kind of sits on top of the sky and not it doesn't look like part of the painting um, it's a crap painting <laughs> that's a crap painting uh, it's called View and Plan of Toledo View and Plan of Toledo if you google that you'll see what I'm seeing um yeah, that's crap. I think everything's crap today in this episode. I'm, you know, the Brothers Karamazov sucks. El Greco sucks. Herman Hesse's best book sucks. <laughs> I'm just a big hater. Uh, I swear I don't hate everything. But apparently today I'm just being in a very disagreeable mood. Uh, Alright. Let's, let's move on. Let's keep reading. Chapter 80, what am I up to here? 89. These Roman numerals are getting crazy. Uh, 89, all right. Oh, it's a short chapter too. Handy. Goes like this. The conversation between Philip and Athenley was broken into by a clatter up the stairs. Athelney opened the door for the children coming back from Sunday school and with laughter and shouting they came in. Gaily, he asked them what they had learned. Sally appeared for a moment with instructions from her mother that father was to amuse the children while she got tea ready and Athelney began to tell them one of Hans Anderson's stories they were not shy children and they quickly came to the conclusion that Philip was not formidable Jane came and stood by him and presently settled herself on his knees it was the first time that Philip in his lonely life had been present present in a family circle his eyes smiled as they rested on the fair children encroached in the fairy tale the life of his new friend, eccentric as it appeared at first glance, seemed now to have the beauty of perfect naturalness. Sally came in once more. Now then, children, tea's ready, she said. Jane slipped off Philip's knee, and they all went back to the kitchen. Sally began to lay the cloth on the long Spanish table. Mother says, shall she come and have tea with you? She asked. I can give the children their tea. Tell your mother that we shall be proud and honoured if she will favour us with her company, said Athelney. It seemed to Philip that he could never say anything without an oratorical flourish. 
Then I'll lay for her, said Lally. Lally? Sally. <laughs> she came back again in a moment with a tray on which were a cottage loaf, a slab of butter and a jar of strawberry jam. While she placed the things on the table, her father chuffed her. He said it was quite time she was wa- walking out. He told Philip that she was very proud and would have nothing to do with aspirants to that honour who lined up at the door two by two outside the Sunday school and craved the honour of escorting her home. You do talk, father, said Sally, with her slow, good-natured smile. You wouldn't think to look at her that a tailor's assistant has enlisted in the army because he would, she would not say how do you do to him. An electrical engineer, an electrical engineer, mind you, has taken to drink because she refused to share her hymn book with him at church. I shudder to think what will happen when she puts her hair up. Mother will bring the tea along herself, said Sally. Sally never pays any attention to me, laughed Athelney, looking at her with fond, proud eyes. She goes about her business indifferent to wars, revolutions, and cataclysms. What a wife she'll make to an honest man. Mrs. Athelney brought in the tea. She sat down and proceeded to cut bread and butter. It amused Philip to see that she treated her husband as though he were a child. She spread jam for him and cut up the bread and butter into convenient slices for him to eat. She had taken off her hat, and in her Sunday dress, which seemed a little tight for her, she looked like one of the farmer's wives whom Philip used to call on sometimes with his uncle when he was a small boy. Then he knew why the sound of her voice was familiar to him. She spoke just like the people around Blackstable. "'What part of the country do you come from?' he asked her. "'I'm a Kentish woman. I come from Fern. I thought as much. My uncle's the vicar of Blackstable.' "'That's a funny thing now,' she said. "'I was wondering in church just now whether you were any connection of Mr. Carey. "'Many's the time I have seen him. "'A cousin of mine married Mr. Barker of Roxley Farm over by Blackstable Church, "'and I used to go and stay there often when I was a girl. "'Isn't that a funny thing now?' "'She looked at him with a new interest, and a brightness came into her faded eyes. "'She asked him whether he knew Fern. "'It was a pretty village, about ten miles across country from Blackstable, "'and the vicar had come over sometimes to Blackstable for the harvest Thanksgiving.' She mentioned names of various farmers in that neighbourhood. She was delighted to talk again of the country in which her youth was spent, and it was a pleasure to her to recall scenes and people that had remained in her memory with the tenacity peculiar to her class. It gave Philip a queer sensation, too. A breath of the countryside seemed to be wafted into that panelled room in the middle of London. He seemed to see that fat Kentish fields with their stately elms and his nostrils dilated with the scent of the air. It is laden with the salt of the North Sea, and that makes it keen and sharp. Philip did not leave the Athelonies till ten o'clock. The children came in to say good night at eight, and quite naturally put up their faces for Philip to kiss. His heart went out to them. Sally only held out her hand. Sally never kisses gentlemen till she's seen them twice, said her father. You must ask me again, then, said Philip. "'You mustn't take any notice of what Father says,' remarked Sally with a smile. "'She's a most self-possessed young woman,' added her parent. "'They had supper of bread and cheese and beer while Mrs. Athelney was putting the children to bed, "'and when Philip went into the kitchen to bid her good night, "'she had been sitting there resting herself and reading the weekly despatch, "'she invited him cordially to come up again. "'There's always a good dinner on Sunday, so long as Athelney's in work,' she said, "'and it's a charity to come and talk to him.' On the following Saturday, Philip received a postcard from Athelney saying that they were expecting him to dinner next day, but fearing their means were not such that Mr. Athelney would desire him to accept, Philip wrote back that he would only come to tea. He bought a large plum cake so that his entertainment should cost nothing. 
He found the whole family glad to see him, and the cake completed his conquest of the children. He insisted that they should all have tea together in the kitchen, and the meal was noisy and hilarious. Soon Philip got into the habit of going to the Thalneys every Sunday. He became a great favourite with them, with the children, because he was simple and unaffected, and because he was so plain that he was fond of them. He was pl- Sorry, because it was so plain that he was fond of them. As soon as they heard his ring at the door, one of them popped a head out of the window to make sure it was he, and then they all rushed downstairs tumultuously to let him in. They flung themselves into his arms, and tea at tea they fought for the privilege of sitting next to him. Soon they began to call him Uncle Philip. Athelney was very communicative, and little by little Philip learned the various stages of his life. He had followed many occupations, and it occurred to Philip that he managed to make a mess of everything he attempted. He had been on a tea plantation in Ceylon, and a traveller in America for Italian wines. His secretaryship of the water company in Toledo had lasted longer than any of his employments. He had been a journalist, and for some time he had worked as police court reporter for an evening paper. He had been sub-editor of a paper in the Midlands, and editor of another one in the Riviera. From all his occupations he had gathered amusing anecdotes which he told with a keen pleasure in his own powers of entertainment. He had read a great deal, chiefly delighting in books which were unusual, and he poured forth his stories of abstruse knowledge with childlike enjoyment of the amazement of his hearers. Three or four years before abject poverty had driven him to take the job of press representative for a large firm of drapers, and though he felt the work unworthy of his abilities, which he rated highly, the firmness of his wife and the needs of his family had made him stick to it. Alright, there we go. Another chapter down. Philip, good friends of the Athelney family now, apparently. That's cool. I think that might be good for Philip. He could use a good kind of model family, role model, you know, get him into the idea of being a family man. Can't hurt. Alright, there we have it, another chapter for you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.